0: Unfortunately, I think a lot of tech companies approach new markets that way. They go in and they say, hey, we're tech people. We know how to solve all your problems. Here we are, we're your heroes. Um, and I think Maxwell has always flipped that, that script from, from day one, going in and saying, our customers know their problems far better than we do. We're just here to figure out from a technology perspective, how to help them solve that. And um, from that perspective, it was an incredible gift to be you know, new to the industry and be learning um, because we didn't know what we didn't know and we could ask good questions.
1: Welcome back, housing news listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast. You just heard a word from John Posenin, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Maxwell. In today's episode, he discusses Maxwell's latest funding round that estimates the company will facilitate about $70 billion in mortgage origination volume in 2021, as well as some of the challenges of growing a company fast, and what excites him about the future of the mortgage lending space. Thank you for listening. Here's Episode 7 of Season 7 of the Housing News Podcast.
2: Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, with the latest episode of the Housing News Podcast. I'm really excited to speak with our guest today, John Possanen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Maxwell. We have a great discussion planned, so let's dive in. And John, welcome to Housing News.
0: Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
2: I'm really excited about this. So, you know, the first question I always ask our guests is, how did they get into the industry? And in this case, that's, you know, the financial tech industry, right? Like it's not on most people's radar growing up, so I love to hear everyone's story.
0: No, that's right. You know, I, it's, a, it's a long distance from the fireman that I wanted to be uh, when I was five years old. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, over my career, I've really just fallen in love with complex industries. Uh, after business school, I, I got a job offer from a, a company in the payments industry called American Express. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, a credit card company, really? And I just fell in love with the complexity of the payments industry. Um, I spent nearly a decade at Amex and then went to PayPal and um, not unlike mortgage you know payments has a very fragmented value chain there's a lot of players uh that 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 nibble off the fees that are being generated in the in the transaction and you know i I was there at paypal getting my my fourth mortgage at the time and this was i think 2014 and it was an utter disaster it was awful Uh, we missed closing um we had to renegotiate the contract with the seller they had moving trucks showing up kids in school and I was so angry. I ended up talking, I think, to over a hundred people in the mortgage industry over the course of 90 days. Um, you know, underwriters, processors, people in title, escrow, real estate agents, just saying, why is this so bad? Um, and I discovered that the, the the mortgage industry was a lot like payments. Right, here was an industry that had huge transaction volumes. But it was a very fragmented value chain, and it was a deconsolidating market, and there was an enormous opportunity for uh, for technology innovation. And so, um, you know, one stat that really struck me at the time uh, was I said, you know, doesn't Wells Fargo just do all the mortgages in America? And and I found out their market share is only two percent. And instead, there's seventeen thousand lending institutions um, in in the United States. And in fact. That, that number of lending institutions had grown 25% over the last five years. And so that was really, you know, inspiring for me as an entrepreneur to say, how do we help these little guys, right? How do we help the underdogs uh, succeed? And so that's what we do today. Um, you know, Maxwell is here and we exist for that small to mid-sized lender doing, you know, $5 billion or, or or less a year in, in total originations and um, really help them compete with growing emerging players like Rocket and, and better.
2: Well, that's one of the reasons, um, you know, that I really wanted to talk to you. I think that's really interesting. And to your point, I, you know, if if you were just a consumer, um, you'd think, oh, Rocket has, you know, I mean, they're the biggest, yeah. right? And we just did a um, uh, a story that you know they're hoping to close in on ten percent share in twenty twenty two. And I was yeah. like, they're yeah. they're not even ten percent yet. How is that right. possible? And, and that just shows you how fragmented this is. To your point
0: yeah how fragmented it is and and then you know when someone is that large and even if it is ten percent that's a that's an enormous business as we know uh, now that they've gone public. Um, you know how does a small to mid-sized lender you know maybe they have five loan officers, maybe they have fifty, maybe they have two hundred, how do they compete right with the technology with access to the secondary market um, with with efficiency in the back office how do they compete with that scale and um, that's that's what we're really excited about.
2: You know, HousingWire recognized Maxwell as a a Tech 100 winner this year. Um, And one, one reason was the phenomenal growth that you guys had. So, from funding 100 million in volume in 2017 to over 45 billion in 2020. And then last month, you know, you had another fundraise, and the latest estimate is that Maxwell will facilitate about 70 billion. In mortgage origination volume in 2021. So yes, you know, we've had a couple of huge volume years, but that's still impressive. And especially since you serve primarily, as you said, the small, smaller lenders or, or mid-sized lenders. Um, so that's not even the largest lenders out there. So what are some of the challenges of growing that fast? You as a, the CEO, the co-founder, what are some of the challenges that you've had?
0: Uh, well, I can say it's been incredibly hard and incredibly fun at the same time. You know as a CEO I don't know who to attribute this this quote to, but uh, you know I once heard someone said it's it's not challenges that that build character, um, it's challenges that reveal character. and I think the same thing is true for organizations, right what I've what I've learned is that as we've scaled quickly, you know it's really our leaders, our people, um, our teammates, and their dedication to our values that are really the key to scaling scaling quickly. Um, you know we, we call our values the rocks, rigor, ownership, curiosity, kindness and straight up. Um, and everything we do is centered around our values. We hire on values. Uh, we assess performance based on our values, and when necessary, we we fire based on values. And uh, and and you know your your values become so core in how how you scale. I mean, some weeks last year we were bringing on 10 to 15 new people a week, um, and uh, you know ensuring that those folks are strongly aligned to our values, that they are representing our operating principles to our to our clients, um, and and operating that way internally. Uh, you have to have a really good filter and um, you know we learned some of that the hard way sometimes Um, and i think that uh, something that we are really proud of what we built uh, on the top top of the funnel if you will from a recruiting perspective you know i was personally doing interviews uh, with new teammates up until we had about 50 people Uh, and then from about 50 to 150 people at least someone at least me or someone from our leadership team was involved Um, because it's really those early team members that kind of form the basis for the culture, right? Now they're out recruiting others. They're part of assessing is this person, um, you know, above the bar that we're looking for uh, to bring into the team. And so um, that, that was the first, one of the first challenges when you scale that quickly. And then as CEO, I think it came down to thinking about how do we guide the, the communication and organizational operating system, if you will, like we needed to upgrade our OS uh, a few times as we scaled through these different, these different levels of scale. Um, You know, we went from being a a little family to a tribe, to a village, to a town, to a city. Um, And so how do we set goals differently? How do we manage and address performance differently? How do we think about talent progression differently? How do we communicate differently? Um, And you know, we've grown to three hub cities, Denver, Dallas, Raleigh-Durham. How do we make them feel like they're still part of the core Uh, and do that in this remote COVID pandemic world where we can't always see someone, right? Um, and how do we build relationships? So all of those things have been have been incredibly fruitful. Um, you know, one example I'll give is we added a survey to, to uh, a question to our employee engagement survey, which is, do you have a, a friend at work? Um, and um, not not a surprise when you've grown that quickly in a pandemic, uh, it was one of our lowest scoring areas as a business. Um, and I think that's really important for leaders to think about in this remote environment: is how do you build relationships? Between your team members. So they feel like they're part of something. And they're not just logging on to their computer, logging on to Zoom, and, and thinking of their job as a purely transactional uh, component of their day. Um, and so, you know, that's something that we're incredibly focused on here at Maxwell. Um, again, just based on our values.
2: So interesting because um, that's that's a harder metric to measure, right? Like I like the way that you guys asked that because it's like that means that you've forged a relationship with someone you feel, you know, valued by that person, there's someone that you're looking forward to talking to and but you know that that's not a, an easy metric to capture if you weren't asking that question. You, you could look at someone's productivity, you could look at their um, you know, loyalty, or their growth in the company or whatever, but the fact of, you know, are they connected in that way?
0: It's yeah. Very yeah, it is. And then and then, you know, you have this hard challenge of thinking through well, how does someone have a friend at work when all they see is Zoom? You know, and Zoom calls feel very transactional, right? You might say a few things about your kids or the weather when you start and then it's off to work. And then you want to get off the Zoom call and get back to working on your document, right? Or, or whatever it is you're doing. And so um it, we have to be really creative on how we do that. And we've tried a lot of things, you know, we do, well, I'm sure like a lot of companies, you know, pumpkin carving contests and uh, we're, we're building a, a Maxwell Thanksgiving recipe book, um, and uh, you know, every time someone new joins, we have them share at a team meeting, you know, their favorite potato chip and favorite trip they've taken, and you know, just have some laughs together. But yeah, it's it's uh, continuing to be really hard um, as, as the world hopefully emerges from the pandemic. Figuring out how we meet more in person and invest in 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 the people that we work with uh, is going to be really key for me.
2: I love that. I might steal that Thanksgiving recipe book idea. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and we have a lot of people here at Housingware. We had the, you know, over the last year we've more than doubled, I think. And so many of them we haven't even met. So um, that's a great idea. Yeah. Now, how many, how many people do you have at Maxwell now?
0: Yeah. Well, before I answer that question, I'll put this out to the podcast sphere that if anybody has a very good uh, stuffing recipe, please share it with me. I'm on the hunt for, <laughs> for the best stuffing recipe in the world. I haven't found it yet. That was the challenge I gave to our team. Uh, so, uh, if any of our listeners uh, have one of those, please send it over. But um, we we have um, about 300 folks at Maxwell today, um, and we'll scale to between 400 and 500 over the next 12 months.
2: Wow, that's huge. That's that's a lot. Well, the next question is related to that. If you knew then, when you you know when you were starting Maxwell, what you know now, what would you do differently?
0: Yeah, you know, you had sent this question over to think about before, and I think it's one of the, uh, one of the hardest questions to answer. Um, what, what would you do differently? Um, you know, there's a lot of big and small things. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we did when we started Maxwell is we talked to a lot of mortgage professionals. Um, I think literally before we released our platform in 2016, we had spent time with over a thousand people in the industry. And so I think what I would figure out how to do differently is how do we spend time with thousands more? Um, we got so much insight into what are the problems that people have and, and what are the solutions that we can create um, rather than approaching it with, uh, you know, we know what you need sort of attitude. You know, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of tech companies approach new markets that way. They go in and they say, hey, we're tech people. We know how to solve all your problems. Here we are. We're your heroes. Um, and I think Maxwell has always flipped that, that script from, from day one, going in and saying, our customers know their problems far better than we do. We're just here to figure out from a technology perspective, how to help them solve that. And um, from that perspective, it was incredible gift to be you know, new to the industry and be learning um, because we didn't know what we didn't know and we could ask good questions. Um, I think that's the other thing I might do differently. You know, we've, we've done a great job over the last call it two years bringing in mortgage experts. So if you look at our leadership team today, um, one of them joined actually, and he said he wanted to be part of our team because we were building the Mortgage Avengers, uh, <laughs> is what he called it. And uh, you know we have an incredible team. You know the woman that leads our our, our, our uh, capital markets team, you know she she uh, led the whole loan trading desk at Goldman Sachs for a decade at Fortress. Um, you know our general counsel was at Fannie for ten years uh, at HUD, SPIG, um, You know chief compliance officer for a lender. Um, you know, the, the gentleman that runs our uh, film business was COO at PHH um, for, for a, a, quite a long time and then ran all the operations at Chase. And so we built this great team of, of, of mortgage experts who kind of sit alongside our, our tech experts uh, like me who don't know anything. And, and um, hopefully we can work together to figure out what the solutions are. But I think if I could do it differently, maybe including some of those folks earlier in our story uh, would help us get to some solution sets faster.
2: I appreciate your insights there. I think it's as you're growing a business, there's um, there's the things that you don't know till you till you don't know them, right? <laughs> Until they right. That's things. right.
0: And I think the other opportunity for us as well, Sarah, is is uh, really leaning in with other stakeholders in the value chain, like Fannie or Freddie, for example, right? And and um, you know, as we've grown, you know, we'll facilitate about two three percent of the mortgage business this year. Um, you know, there's an incredible role we can play with the GSEs. Uh, to directly affect the origination process and make that easier for consumers, make that easier for our lenders to originate loans.
2: That's such an interesting comment to me, because I do feel like, um, you know, maybe that's something that um, I don't I don't see all the time, or that it's just not obvious that that's going on, that the tech companies are the ones that can influence change at that federal level um, in the way that they serve consumers. I don't know, I think that's interesting. So So what are some of the ways that you would do that?
0: Yeah, I mean the way I think about it, and, and I and I guess I've learned this over the, my years in the in, in the industry now, um, is that you realize that when when a consumer has a frustrating process with a lender, the lender is ultimately just trying to create a product they can sell, right? It's a little bit like uh, you know having kids in high school, right? You want them to to be involved in the right extracurricular activities, get the right GPA be good in sports so that they can get into college, right? You're, you have an outcome in mind. And lenders have the same outcome in mind for their loans. They wanna create loans that they can sell. And so it's really the investors and ultimately for conventional product, Fannie and Freddie, that are determining what that process is gonna look like. Um, I've been really proud of, of, of groups like Fannie and they want certainty and, and some of the, the innovations that they've been able to drive. And so um, because we have scale and we touch so many borrowers and so many lenders, being able to partner with them to deploy their programs, right, and put those into place, um, is really helpful. You, know, you look at something like they want certainty. I think a lot of lenders still today don't really know how do I, how do I put they want certainty in my process? How does that work, right? And because we are their process, we are their their front end. Um, you know, we can figure that out for them and with them, uh, which is pretty neat.
2: That's really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the the kind of um, lenders that you serve, right? Uh, and the role they play right now in the mortgage business, whether that's um, community banks or credit unions or those small to uh, mid-sized independent mortgage uh, bankers, how have they carved out a place at the table when they're competing against such large players? You, you mentioned Rocket at the beginning of this discussion, right? Um, how, how are they competing and why did you choose to focus on serving them?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we love the the small to mid sized guys. I think they 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 are the ones that have a presence in their communities. They're involved in the neighborhood associations. They coach soccer, right, with with uh, with with their neighbors and and kids from uh, you know other other families from their schools. Um, you know, we, we want to support them in being successful, and uh, particularly if you look at rural communities, you know, about a quarter of the U.S. lives in in rural communities. Um, you know, there's roughly 74 million people. There and, and, and community banks and many of those are the only banking presence there you know, I think something like one in every five counties in the US the only banking presence is a community bank and uh, these are the folks that deeply understand their local market I was talking a few months ago to um, you know rural community bank uh, the head of mortgage there in in, in, in the southern state and um, I was going to try to do a southern accent but <laughs> uh, maybe I won't do that but you know he was telling me how you know when the pandemic started, all the other legacy, large national banks shut their branches down and he knew that he was serving farmers and, you know, moms that needed to get checks cashed. And, and um, he understood his market and they figured out how to stay open, how to use drive-throughs, right. To continue to serve their families because that's how they needed to operate. Um, And so when, when you're in touch with your local community in that way and really understand their needs and you're not operating at the behest of a, Group of executives that's sitting in, at Wall Street. Um, you can do different things, and you can be more innovative and and, and push into that. And, and I think, look, you know, the other thing that excites us is, you know, this group of what I'll call community focused lenders. Um, so IMBs, credit unions, community banks they have an enormous opportunity ahead of them. Um, you know, seventy one percent of millennials would rather visit the dentist than listen to their bank, right? Um, you know, four of the top 10 least loved brands in the U S are banks are, are large banks. And so millennials are the largest population moving through peak home buying age. Uh, I think they represented last year, 54% of, of home buyers, according to CoreLogic. logic, 79%, almost 80% of first-time home buyers were millennials. And so here's, here's a generation that doesn't like going to the large banks, doesn't like them as a brand. And they're moving through peak home buying. It's an enormous opportunity over the next decade. Um, And I think uh, lenders in the local communities across America are perfectly positioned to take advantage of that. Um, And uh, there's going to be a huge demand for these these people that, yes, millennials are different, right? They want a different experience. Uh, They are coming to the table at a mortgage lender with a lot more knowledge that they've Googled. Uh, rightly or wrongly right and have ideas around what the rate should be but they still want to sit down with someone and say, is this the best decision for my family? how do I structure this large debt asset for 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 uh, for my family to be successful um, for the outcomes that I want? And so you know to summarize small and mid-sized lenders are in an amazing position uh, to win to win business and I think with the right tools uh, to serve their clients they're going to be incredibly successful over the next
1: decade. And here's a brief word from our sponsor. Partner with Rocket Pro TPO and get great tools to grow your business. Do more for your clients with the SOS Scenario Desk, a dedicated team ready to answer questions about loan products or guidelines before you submit a loan. Rocket Connect lets you problem solve or connects you to an expert team helping loans move faster. The tech, products, and resources you need now. Visit rocketprotpo.com to partner with us today. Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLS, number 3030. Really interesting. You know, I have
2: um I have four kids and my husband has four kids. So that's eight kids, and they're all millennials. Wow. <laughs> and um, and then, you know, some of them are married and and they're friends. And so I know a lot of millennials, and they're amazing, you know. But they come at things differently. To, to yeah. me, the payment space is one of, you know, you, you said PayPal, one of the earliest signs of how they were going to be approached their financial life differently. Yeah. And, and and that, you know, you can see that in in the way they, for, for instance, how they feel about banks, how they feel about mortgages, how they feel about the financial products and how they want to interact with that. So very interesting. And I can see the appeal of that um, community bank. For them, over over some of the larger players. Yeah,
0: so interesting. they still want to have a relationship, right? Now the tools might need to be different. Like a millennial is going to want to come and play around with rates and have little scales they can slide back and forth and try different things, right? Um, but I don't think that uh, that that doesn't eliminate, actually changes and enhances the role that a loan officer can play at a community bank, right? Because they know the local market, um, they they can sit down and give give this millennial advice around a complex product like a mortgage. I'm just like real estate agents. I mean, really, you know, uh, millennials are using real estate agents more than their parents' generation. They're just using them differently. Um, and, uh, I think lenders will need to adapt similarly.
2: Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you about you headquartered Maxwell in the Denver Boulder area and, and back when, before that was really fashionable to leave Silicon Valley, right? Like we've seen a huge supposed the exodus over yeah, the last yeah. you know, since the pandemic. It's still kind of hard to get your hands around that, but, um, what advantages do you see to having your headquarters there? And then you said, I think you also said Dallas and um, Raleigh.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, we just spun those hubs up uh, last year. But um, yeah, based in Denver is where we started. You know, we uh, we we just found Denver, you know, to be an affordable, business friendly, great lifestyle place to live. Um, you know, we we were we started the business in Palo Alto, um, and uh, you know, Silicon Valley is certainly a great place to to build a tech company, and, and you have a lot of resources at your fingertips. Um, I think it's fair to say back in 25, 2016, you know, uh, uh, mortgage tech was not the hottest thing happening in Silicon Valley, right? And so to be able to attract the best engineers, um, to be loyal and engaged in what you're building, um, I think we found that here. Um, We were able to manage some of our costs um, more easily here as well. Um, And, uh, you know, we just found a place where it's great to attract talent, Um, you know, and, and that's been even more true over the last year with the great reshuffling that's happening. Um, we found a lot of people moving here or wanting to move here. Um, you know, one of our our recent executive hires was eager to pick up his family and move off the coast and come to Denver, right? And um, the startup scene has just been growing incredibly rapidly here. Um, you know, I think uh, Denver consistently is one of the top 10, 5 cities in the U.S. that people are moving to. Um, you know, while while San Francisco's hiring was going down during the pandemic, Denver's was going up. And um, and then lastly, you know, as a as a person with kids myself, it's great to be near an airport where I can get to most of the country and come back the same night. Um, and so um, that played a role as well, so we could be close to our customers and, um, and and have real relationships with them.
2: Well, in Boulder, I mean, you know, it's it's also a very very nice place to live, right? Beautiful. Ah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, <laughs> three hundred days of sun. Um, you know, I, I generally only show my driveway maybe once or twice a year. Oh, that's great. Um, little known secret uh, to Denver, right? The snow's not as bad as everybody thinks it is. And, uh, you know, it was 75 degrees yesterday. So no one's complaining.
2: No one would complain about that. <laughs> um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do and I wanted to talk to you, is we're just seeing a huge convergence where tech companies, real estate companies, and mortgage companies are really all expanding into each other's space. You know, for a long time, we talked about the disruption of mortgage or real estate from from technology, but but we kind of see it both ways now. I mean, people are getting into all sorts of different areas. You really see this convergence. Um, You know, if the goal is to win the customer at the end of the day, who do you think is going to ultimately win that battle?
0: It's a great, it's a great question. And I think one that is impossible to answer. Um, and, and I guess what I would argue back is does somebody need to win? Um, you know, you look at this market, it's enormous. Um, it's it's super complex. Um, consumers themselves have a kind of wide wide swath of incentives and needs that need to be met. I mean, if you look at the payments industry where I came from, I mean, they've been going through quote unquote disruption over the last two decades. Uh, you know, PayPal hasn't disrupted Visa and MasterCard. Um, Chase and American Express are as big and successful as ever as card issuers, right? Um, so I think a, a, a different question that I, I like to ask is, what are the structural changes that are going to happen in our industry, right? Um, rather than who's going to win, how, are, how is the structure going to change? And then as a result, who's who who might get crushed or get left out of, of those structural changes? Um, you know, We've seen everything from all the signals of Fannie Freddie, are they going to privatize at some point? Um, We're seeing more consolidation in the value chain. I mean, you just look at First American's acquisitions over the last five years, right? You see non-traditional players entering the market, finding niches like figure going after the HELOC market, right? And so um, what I expect to see over the next decade is more consortia starting to emerge, more structural change in the value chain. I mean, here at Maxwell, we're looking at how do we vertically integrate more of the components of the value chain for our clients so that as a small to mid-sized lender, you not just have the best experience from a technology perspective, but you have the best back office quality and efficiency, and then you have great execution, right? And so you have the best experience in town, the best process in town, and the best price in town. Um, and we think that you can win that way pretty, pretty well. And so we want to empower those lenders to survive all these structural changes that are coming, um, because we're fundamentally changing how mortgages get done, how they get sold, how they get packaged, um, and um, and that's that's a really powerful. Place that we play, and so under, un, unlike I think other players in in our market, particularly on the point of sale side, we're not looking to go into all different types of lending. We're not looking to go into the banking sector. We do mortgage, and we do it deeply and fully, and we're fully committed to that and making our clients successful in mortgage, and that's what we do.
2: Nice. Um, another area I want to talk about was cybersecurity. It's a huge concern for any company. You're a tech company serving lenders, so you would clearly be a target among targets. And, and how do you deal with that both from the hardening of your security at the, at the company, but also just as an existential threat that you could keep you up every night if you let it?
0: Yeah. You know, I, uh, I was at, um, at PayPal when I was part of eBay. And if you remember, I guess this is uh, probably eight, eight years ago now or so, you know, eBay was hacked and people were kind of getting into the accounts and um, they, they spun up a huge war room and you could feel sort of the palpable of fear for a few days as they were trying to figure out how deep were these hackers able to go what were they able to get and so you know if if cybersecurity doesn't keep a cto and ceo up at night um on a regular basis just to make sure the data is secure you know i would say number one i'm I'm really grateful for our customers they they keep us on our toes and and they have high standards too Um, you know i i was on a call um a couple months ago with a client and they had these consultants coming in and evaluating us and you know the CEO is apologizing, apologizing to me. He's like, I'm so sorry that we're making you go through this sort of security review. And I said, No, thank you, right? Thank you as a consumer. Thank you for doing this, right? Thank you for making sure your vendors are secure. Um, and so, number one, great to have customers that hold you to that standard. Um, but we've invested probably more than any any typical startup would in the early stages in. Uh, penetration testing, you know, uh, 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 code reviews, third party security reviews, compliance audits. We got our SOC 2, type 2 certification very early. I mean, it's the foundation of everything we do here. Um, it's it's really a first order principle for product and engineering. How do we build something and how do we build it securely when we're even designing and defining uh, that feature or that product? And so that that goes not just from a cyber perspective, but also to corporate and physical access security as well. You know, most of the hacks these days happen not because your cybersecurity is bad, it's because somebody spoofs or 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 is able to you know get someone else's login data, right, and um, to have access to it. And so we spend just as much time on those things, um, you know, as we launch, for example, our fulfillment solution business um, to make sure we have the same amount of rigor there as we do on our technology products. Um, and then, you know, we're fortunate to stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And so working with folks like AWS and, uh, and Heroku and others that uh, are just our partners in the cloud um, to make sure that we can benefit from their best practices um, as, we, as we go about it. I always think about security a little bit like a castle, right? You've got to think about where do you put the castle to be the most protected. Um, and then you have a moat. You've got the wall, you've got the archers, you've got the locked gates at the front, you've got the armies inside the gates, you've got the locked rooms inside the castles and all the locked rooms have safes in them, or you've got to have these multi-layered approach to, to cybersecurity and starts all the way at the network layer to the application layer to how we're you know, encrypting the data as it's getting transferred at the, the, the SSL database field level um, all the way down to specific fields to, to make sure that that data is safe. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, you get the sense. It's very important to us um, to make sure that data is secure and that our people um, are also secure, um, and uh, and access to them is, is is secure as well.
2: Interesting point on the uh, people part of that. You know, we yeah. again we can tend to focus on the technological part on the on the um, security of systems, but the people are the vulnerability in so many of these instances. Yeah, how-
0: yeah. My favorite part about our 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 security training is uh, we play this video um, of this woman that calls, I think, one of the big you know, wireless uh, players, and she pretends that she's some woman and she has this video, she has this uh, audio recording of a baby crying in the background. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, my baby's crying. And, and she basically convinces the guy on the phone to give up some random person's social security number and address and everything just because she's playing this social spoof so well. Right. And um just making sure your team's alert to that kind of stuff is really important.
2: You know, you said um that your partners, you know, your lender partners help you in this. I would think that you also help them, especially if you're talking about uh smaller lenders. What would you say about that as as far as Yeah, I
0: mean, I hope so. We we're dramatically reducing the amount of paper, right? And I think uh to the extent there's less paper, you know, there's there's less opportunity for that to end up in the wrong place or not get shredded or just end up in the bin and get get shipped off to uh, dump truck somewhere where someone could see it so um, i think that's that's a huge area we're helping is is reducing the paper and then even candidly reducing the amount of time that a human being is having to look at data and, and and use that data right and so being able to automatically read data lift it from documents put it in the right fields validate it so that there's 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 less human interaction with the data um, i think also uh, is very helpful
2: John, tell me a little bit about Maxwell Capital and, and why you guys decided to do that.
0: Yeah, we, we are really excited about Maxwell Capital and the impact it's having with our lenders. And so Maxwell Capital is an investor. So we actually buy loans from our clients. We pool them and, and place them in the secondary market. And uh, what we found is that you know when you're a small yeah. institution, you don't have a lot of bargaining power when it comes to the secondary market, right? You might be placing... 10 loans a week, maybe in the secondary market or 50 loans a week, and you're not getting necessarily the best pricing for those loans. And uh, because we have such great data on every loan that flows through our network um, and the ability to diligence that loan quickly, we can move it very fast off our lender's warehouse lines. um, So it saves them cost. But more importantly, because of our relationships on the back end, the secondary investors, um, we can price that loan very aggressively. Um, and so what we found is we're able to deliver really meaningful basis points back to our clients. Um, you know, to my point earlier around the best price in town—that's kind of where it comes from, right? We want to give them really good execution um, as they place those loans in the secondary market, and we do that literally as an investor.
2: Such an interesting use case to to be like—we already know what those loans look like, so we're able to give a good price for them. We we already know what the risk looks like.
0: Yeah, and and here's where it goes. You know, I talked about millennials. Millennials look so different than their parents' generation from a financial perspective, right? Um, they haven't necessarily held steady jobs. Many of them are 1099 employees, maybe, or, or, or have these side gigs that they work on. They may not have assets. They have a lot of debt, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad credit quality. They just don't fit into the traditional credit box. And so as an investor, I think what we're excited about there is how do we work with our partners in the secondary market to create products? that we can um, um, share with our lenders that they can put into the market to be even more appealing um, than, than they are today uh, to that set of, of home buyers that are coming through the market.
2: Did you anticipate that when you started Maxwell? Was that something that you had as one of your goals?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I get asked that a lot and I actually went back and looked at the very first pitch deck that I wrote when we raised our angel round and believe it or not, it was in there. So, <laughs> you know, our, our, our goal has always been to think about Maxwell as Um, you know, participating in the transaction with our clients, right? We want to, we want to be part of what they're doing because that's how we're going to affect their business, right? We're going to affect how their margin, how how much margin they get. We're going to affect how they operate, how they process, underwrite, close fund loans. Um, So we we wanted, we wanted to have our fingers in there. And so um, yes, very much so we had to get, I think, to a certain level of scale and a certain level of sophistication around the data before we could start to do things like this. Um, but, uh, it's not the last piece of news you're going to hear from Maxwell about how we're, um, serving our clients and giving them a permanent disruptive financial advantage.
2: What are you excited about as you look at the next five years for Maxwell, but also for the mortgage lending space?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm excited about three things. Uh, I think, uh, the first is I'm excited about how this fully vertically integrated stack, um, for at Maxwell is going to really power our lenders to be successful. I talked earlier about the best experience in town, the best quality in town, and the best price in town. That's really what we're focused on. How do we give our lenders a permanent disruptive financial advantage? So I'm really excited about that vision starting to come together. Um, we launched our fulfillment business uh, you know, last February, in February 2020. Um, you know, today, we're one of the largest onshore fulfillment providers in the United States. Uh, we launched our QC diligence uh, business this summer, and that's been growing rapidly. And then last month, we announced Maxwell Capital. Which is our, our secondary market investment business, and so um, we're putting all these things together, built on a technology layer, um, to help our lenders be successful. Second thing I'm excited about is is this new generation of home buyers, and you know, we are fully aligned with our clients that uh, you know we're giving them an incredible tool, and they have an incredible tool at their disposal, which is financing, to help give access to homeownership. Um, you know, I I, I love that. Homeownership is so important to a family. Um, you know, the the average net worth of a homeowner is is two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the United States, versus the average net worth of a renter is only five thousand dollars. So it's one of the main ways that people build generational wealth. Um, children of homeowners are more likely to go to college. Uh, they're they're less likely to use drugs, less likely to be involved in violent crime, right? So here you have homeownership is so important for individuals. It's so important for families. And then we know homeowners are more likely to vote in local elections. They're more lo- likely to be involved in sports and neighborhood activities, right? So it's important for your communities. And then of course, home services are 15% of our GDP in this country. So I'm just really excited about home ownership and, and our ability with our clients to give access to that to, to more people. And then finally, uh, you know, I'm excited about our employer brand uh, in the business. Um, you know, we're a very value centric business that invest heavily in professional and leadership development here and we've been growing quickly we have jobs open in every in every role across Maxwell and I want to continue to attract great talent from the mortgage industry from the tech industry to be part of the evolution um, that's happening in, in mortgage um, so those are really the three things I'm I'm excited about and uh, you know that it'll be uh, it'll be fun to see Maxwell continue to grow and, and impact uh, the way our clients operate.
2: John, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Yeah, likewise, Sarah. Thank you so much. It was great to get to know you and, and to talk about uh, Maxwell and the, the power that these small to mid-sized lenders have in their markets.
1: Radian Ready positions you to do business better. By easing the transition from title production to title curative, Radian Ready clears the way for quicker closings with less legwork. You can also expect accurate searches, seamless workflows, end-to-end service, and easy-to-understand title reports for your borrowers. If you're ready for a better take on title, you're ready for Radian Ready. Visit Radian.com ReadyTitle for more details. That's Radian.com slash ReadyTitle for details. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Until our next episode, make sure to check out Housing Wire Daily, a podcast dedicated to the hottest news stories across HW Media. The podcast is published each day and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.